This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Oh, GYC, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, we love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? And why do you love Jesus? All together. Because he first loved me, that's the reason we all are to love him. Oh, how I love Jesus. Singing, oh, how I love Jesus. So, how I love Jesus. Because he How many of you, that's why you're here this morning? Amen? Oh, what a privilege it is to be here. Before I dive headway into our message this morning, I first want to say, hi, Mom. Then I want to say hello to my little four Braxtelinos, Nafti, Zenin, Marari, and my new baby girl, Ava. They all prayed for me this morning before I came to preach, and I told them, when Papa gets on TV, I'll say hello to you. And of course, my heart and my best friend, my sunrise and my sunset, my wife. So thank you for letting me be here at GYC to minister for my Lord. It's a privilege. I miss you too, babe. But moving forward. This morning, I've entitled my message, Here's Your Church Back. Here's Your Church Back. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Mighty God, everlasting Father, we are so grateful that in this moment we can be in the audience chamber of the Most High. Father, we are not worthy to hear from our Creator. But Lord, as we gather about your feet, we have not come to hear the words of a man, but we've come to hear the Word of God. And so we pray that this man who is but dust in your sight, that you would speak through him and you would speak to him. Father, that Jesus would be lifted up and Jesus would be seen. That we may leave this place transformed. Not the way that we came. For whatever level we came to GYC, may we finish this final meeting believing that we go home to Korea, to New York, to Carolina, to California, to New Mexico, having arisen. People find us higher than when we came. This is our prayer, and we trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we offer this prayer from our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua chapter 
1. When you're there, you can say amen. Joshua chapter 1. Are we there? The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto who? Unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister or Moses' assistant, saying, Moses my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. You know, it was January 30th, 2006, and Coretta Scott King had passed away. She was the widower of the civil rights pioneer Martin Luther King Jr. And at her funeral, there were politicians, there were leaders, there were community influencers that came to pay their respects to this great man's wife. And one of the comments that was made at her funeral was this. They said, Coretta took up her husband's work quietly so that the world would not die from grief from losing him so soon. She recognized that she had to have the courage, despite her four children, having to help them go through the fact that your father died at the very hands of hatred. She had to have the courage to carry on. Despite the fact that she had to deal with all the other leaders and the political jockeying and the power struggles that were going to go on in the movement, she had to have the courage to carry on. She recognized that the movement was greater than the man. And this is the moment that came to Joshua. That Moses, who was his hero, Moses, who was his leader, Moses is the one that changed Joshua's name from Hosea to Joshua. Moses was his deliverer from slavery in Egypt. Moses was the one that as Joshua sat down at the bottom of the mountain as it shook in the glory of God, he watched his mentor, his hero go in and commune with the very creator of the universe and come down with the Ten Commandments. Moses had died. You see, what do you do when you are called to follow greatness? It is easy for us to come to GYC and be spectators of greatness. We listen to people and say, man, God is really using this individual. God is really using this ministry. And all along in the background as Moses raised his hands and parted the Red Sea, there was Joshua. And all along when Moses went into the temple and his prayers delivered thousands of people from the venom of snakes and serpents, there was Joshua. All along, he thought to himself, who could ever replace Moses? And surely, Moses was God's chosen to lead us to the promised land. But on this very morning, after 30 days of mourning the loss of this great man, God finally spoke to Joshua. And he said, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead, but the movement is not dead. 
Moses, my servant, is dead. But guess what? The promises are still waiting to be fulfilled. You see, this has always been the legacy of the people of God. When Abraham died, Isaac was there and he had to know that the promises still remained even though Abraham died. Someone had to have the courage to carry on. And when Isaac died in blindness and Jacob was there in some foreign land, estranged from his only other earthly relative in his brother, Jacob had to have the courage to carry on. When you come down to the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to young Timothy and saying, Look, I fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. But Timothy, this is greater than me. You must have the courage to carry on. I know the persecution is rough. I know that the emperor of Rome is making it difficult for you to do evangelism, but you must have the courage to carry on. We believe that secularism and postmodernism is causing us problems. Let's go back to ancient Rome, where it was illegal to be a Christian, where it was illegal to do exactly what we are doing this morning. To show up was to guarantee certain death. Don't tell me you got it hard because all your professors talk about evolution. Don't tell me you got it hard because, well, they're preaching all the boring sermons and nothing's really happening. I don't invite people out to church. You see, Joshua learned something very, very, very special this day. The book of Joshua teaches us that leadership is important. In fact, it is more important than the leader himself or herself. I remember Charles Spurgeon was talking to a minister. And as Spurgeon was waxing eloquent about how the minister is a liability to the gospel. He says, because you are a minister, because you are a preacher, because you are a pastor, you're a liability to the work of God. God did not call you because you were stronger than your members. God did not call you because you were wiser or more spiritual than your members. Any preacher who is honest with his or her heart knows that if they were not mounting pulpits, they would be spiritually dying. So Spurgeon said, let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. He says, there was a man on a ship, and as they were sailing in the ocean across to America, all of a sudden a storm came in, and everyone started panicking saying, the ship is not going to make it. So as this man was running around on the ship, we're going to die. We're, gonna, we're not going to make it. They said, look, man, we need you to have some courage. Can you do something for us? This could save the ship. And he said, sure, I'll do anything. They said, look, man, you can be a hero right now. This is what we need you to do. He said, sure, I'll do anything. They said, take this rope. And I want you to pull this rope and hold this rope and don't let go. If you let go, this may be the end of all of us. So I need you to hold this rope with all your life. So the man grabbed that rope and he wrapped it around his arm. And as he held that rope and he wouldn't let go and people were doing their things on the deck, people were doing things below, the captain was giving orders and finally the storm calmed, the ship was saved. And everybody just went about their business as usual. He was still holding the rope. Then finally he thought, man, it's sunny out here. Like nobody's coming saying, hey, let go of the rope. So finally, he let go of the rope, and he went into the captain's quarters. And he said, Captain, you know, I'm walking around, and I was holding the rope, and 
you know, the ship is saved. How come nobody's giving me thanks? And he says, what are you talking about? Well, they told me to hold the rope, and they said this would save the ship. They said, brother, we told you to hold the rope so you could stay out of the way so we could save the ship. (laughs) This is the calling to preaching. God needs to hide you in the work so you don't get in and mess stuff up. In other words, God doesn't need us. God could finish the gospel by speaking one word. He calls us to preach as a privilege for ourselves. We must take up the work that Jesus started, that the world would not die from grief from losing him so soon. More than anything else, the world needs a revelation of Jesus Christ. Not a discourse, not a YouTube video, not a Facebook post, not a Snapchat. The world needs a revelation of Jesus through you. And so Joshua, being called to step up in this very moment. You know, the word arise is kind of like a nice clinical word. We need to arise. It just sounds nice. But when I started looking up synonyms, I said, you know, I'm the kind of person that when I was growing up, people say, Sebastian, you know, you need to get in touch with your feminine side a little bit more. You know, tenderness, compassion, you know, smile in a picture every once in a while. I'm like, well, if it's a virtue to get in touch with your feminine side, then it must be a virtue at some times to get in touch with your masculine side. And I believe in so many different ways when we have moved the message forward, we've neutered the message and just gone towards the nice, tender, compassion Jesus died for us as if Jesus died on the cross as a coward. No one has gone through what Gethsemane was. And no one had the courage to say, you know what, I'm going to give up my salvation for someone else. You know, at some point in time, as Joshua was stepping up in his mind, he had to recognize that guess what, Joshua? If time for you to be the next man up. So instead of just saying, let's arise, what if we just use the phrase, step up? Don't come to me and tell me about all the problems in your church. It's time for you to step up. Don't tell me about, oh, my conference this and my conference that. It's time for you to step up. My young, my youth group, you know, we're not really having a lot of evangelism and outreach. Then go out by yourself and step up. You know, it's so interesting. Everybody wants the reward, but nobody wants to bear the cross. Everybody wants the results and to stand on stage at GYC and say, guess what? Look at all the souls we reached. You go forth sowing in tears that you may reap in joy. This is why nobody likes call portering. Because it's hard. Ain't for boys. It's for people who really love souls. And someone asked me, they said, Sebastian, you know, what would make you do canvassing for 10 years? I said, you know, to be honest, I don't even know why I was doing it for 10 years. But I said, when I look back at the years of service in canvassing, I recognize what canvassing produced in me. When it's 100 degrees, 100% humidity, no shade, nothing but rejection, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what am I doing out here? Go into houses and they said, brother, do you have money in that bag? You should not be in this neighborhood. 
and you still knocking doors. When you roll up and somebody's dog is rushing out and you're like, that dog does not have a leash. <laughs> and I used to tell people, I'm not afraid of what the dog will do to me. I'm afraid of what I'll do to their dog. <laughs> but I remember grabbing a young lady's hand. She was one of my canvassing students and this dog was coming. And it, it had like an eye that was like at least two inches lower than the other eye. And then they have pictures of the dog all around the yard, big posters that said, beware. She said, mobile one needs support. So I drive up to this house. And as I'm driving up, I see the posters. And you see the dog going back and forth. And this yard was at least an acre. So this dog's running back and forth free. And she's like, there's no way we can do this house. I said, what if this is their last chance to receive the gospel? She said, I'm sorry. I just, I can't do it. So I grabbed her by the hand. I said, sister, I know this may feel inappropriate. (laughs) But we're going to go to this house. She says, what are you doing? I said, let's go. She was a little Korean girl. I pulled her. (laughs) We started walking. Into the yard, the dog started running to us. The girl started screaming. She broke free and ran out of the yard. So I ran out and went and got her again. And we walked back into the grass again. And when we got to the door, there was a young man there. And after all of this, he was like, yeah, my parents are not home. And he was interested in some Bible studies. So we signed him up and we walked down. She says, nobody was even here. We didn't even sell any books. And I said, now you understand what it's like to go to the cross. You're not guaranteed results. We don't go to the door for results. We go because he commended us to go. And guess what? When I get to heaven, this mortal will put on immortality. I can survive a dog bite if it's going to save a soul. How come we don't preach that? How can we walk around and say, well, you know, I'm not telling people to go do crazy stuff. That's not the point. Don't put yourself in unnecessary harm, but recognize if God called us to do this work, he called us to success. And whether we see that success here or in heaven is irrelevant. Because it's time to step up. You know, I have to tell you that When Joshua goes forward, everyone's not called to be a Joshua. Everyone's not called to be a leader. That's clear. But everyone's called to cross the Jordan. Everyone's called to engage the battle on the other side of Jordan. And everyone is called to go in and possess the land that God is giving to them. You know, I go back to the Bible and look in verse 3. The Bible says that as God charges Joshua to arise and go over this Jordan, he says in verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. Now, it's very interesting that people will take this verse and they start doing these, you know, zip code prayer walks. We're going to walk around this zip code and we're going to claim this thing. Because Joshua 1.3 says, every place the sole of your foot treads. Well, guess what? We're not reading the whole text correctly. 
It says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. And then verse 4 says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. In other words, Lebanon's in the north, the wilderness is in the south, the Euphrates is on the east, and on the other side is the west. This is your land. If you tread in any other land, you will not have victory. God doesn't just send people out and be like, well, I'm just going to go here and I'm just going to claim this land. No, God is giving you the land. You need to focus on and I need to focus on what is God giving to me. So when we go home, we sometimes focus on this one soul that we want to reach. This one group of people that we want to reach, we say, oh, you know, we have a big homeless problem. But what if God wants to give you the wealthy and the influential? But we got no ministry for them. All those people are hard. They have no need. I say, yes, they do. If they don't have Jesus, they got everything. But that's all you have is need. You like Jesus, you like everything. I don't care how big your house is. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. I don't care what kind of connections you have or political alliances. You don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And until we believe that it doesn't matter what color the suit the person is wearing, how much money, what kind of car he drives or she, do you know the Lord or don't you? If you don't, you got need, this is the ministry. Joshua goes forward and God says, this is the land and the territory that I'm going to give to you. And he outlines the boundaries. Then in verse 5, he tells him, in Joshua chapter 1, he says, There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your what? Of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with who? And God says, I will not fail you, nor forsake you. You know, the funny thing is, God told Moses the same thing in Deuteronomy 7.24. This is why God is saying, you thought that the success of the movement in the wilderness and all these things came about because of Moses. No, it's because my promises were with Moses, my presence was with Moses, and I told Moses I would not fail him. So now that you are called to step up into a fresh position, you are now called to see fresh revelations of the faithfulness of God. You don't have to be afraid to step up because as he was with the great men and women before you, he's going to be with you in the same way. Listen, brothers and sisters, we sometimes sit back and we're all afraid about the time of trouble. Do you want to live through the time of trouble? Do you, are you afraid to go through the time of trouble? And I said, you know, if you read the great controversy and you look at John Wesley preaching on the plains of England, and while he's preaching on the plains of England, he says, two men in the crowd with big pieces of wood, super strong men came looking for him while he was preaching. So as they come approaching him, he's still preaching. He's not backing down. He's not running. He's not doing anything. He just keeps preaching. And finally, he finishes the sermon. As he's walking out, they're cutting through the crowd to try to find him. And finally, they find him. And he says, the man punched him so hard in the face that blood immediately started coming out of his mouth just gushing out. But he said, it felt like someone had hit me with a straw. And he just kept walking. And you talking about you afraid of the time of trouble. 
Because as I was with John Wesley, so I will be with you. If you learn to step up, these promises do not apply to you if you don't arise. The success and the victory does not apply to you if you do not arise. If you don't step up. If you leave this conference and go back to your regularly scheduled program, you will not receive those promises. You will not see the testimonies you saw on stage in your very life. The Spirit of God is not restricted by geography. He's not restricted by, well, you know, Elder Finley's not in our area. We don't have any big preachers in our area. That does not matter. These men preach, these women preach because the Spirit uses them. There is nothing in them. So this call to arise is not just a nice little theme for us to talk about for five days. The whole concept of arise is to call us to even greater dedication and service for God when we leave. GYC is not a conclusion of the year. It is the inauguration of the next one. This is where we need to take the movement. And now we've been around for over a decade. Year after year, seminars after seminars, and people say, well, you know, can GYC do this? Can GYC do that? Does GYC have this? This is not the kingdom of heaven. This is a five-day conference that God uses to inspire us, but it's supposed to let us go and say, if GYC doesn't have it, then I'm going to build it. You don't need the logo in order to make it official of God. But in our minds, if it's not under GYC, then I guess it won't happen. We'll wait. You know, as Moise said, stay tuned. And I'll just wait to hear from Moise. I'll wait to check the GYC block. Or we could go home and step up. He says in verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of of your life. He's talking about victory. You know what's interesting is God says, I want you to go possess this land that I'm giving to you. Then all of a sudden he turns around and says, oh don't worry, no one's going to be able to stand before you in battle. What, what do you mean battle? I thought you just said you're giving me the land. Yeah, I'm giving you the land, but you got to go possess it. Amen. Yeah, I'm giving you the land, but you got to go engage in the battle. And whoever and whatever, whenever it stands against you, it will not be able to stand. You will win. You know, I love the fact that this statement, the testimony says, to stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsakes us. To fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. It is at this time... At what time? It is at this time that we must gather courage from the cowardice of others, loyalty from their treason, warmth from the coldness of others. People tell me, they say, my church is cold-hearted. I don't want to invite anybody to my church. Then you better gather warmth from the coldness of others. Listen, I came into a church that was not perfect. But there were some people in there that were living like Jesus. All it takes is one. 
All it takes is one. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you. You see, that statement is so potent. Because if we say we're going to go fight the battles of the Lord, the question becomes, what are the battles of the Lord? When champions are few, we're not talking about arguing in your board meeting. We're not talking about posting on blogs, super long comments. That is not fighting the battles of the Lord. The battles of the Lord are against three things. How many things? Three things. The first one is against error. We preach against error. We recognize that when GYC started, the goal was to make sure people knew that there was an army of young people on a mission for the Lord that loved the teachings and the pure doctrine of this church. We are unashamed, unabashedly Seventh-day Adventists. And people say, well, Sebastian, you know, you don't think that's a little exclusive? You don't think that's a little bit arrogant to say those things? I said the truth is the truth. And number two, someone comes and they say, well, you know, this doctrinal purity is not just about doctrine. It's true. It's not just about doctrine, but it sure includes it. Sometimes we got people beating up on our doctrines. And I used to tell people, I said, you know, coming into the church from the world as an unbeliever. It's interesting. People say, Sebastian, why do you think that people who are converted in the church are more dedicated, quote unquote, more dedicated than people who were raised in the church. They just don't come in as on fire. And I say, you know why? Because when you come into the church and someone says, guess what? This is the seven day Sabbath. So all those Friday nights and that partying and all the stuff you like to do, you got to give that up. And I said, in other words, in order for me to follow the truth and to come to know Jesus and to join this church, I had to give up things I liked. It cost me something. I didn't just receive it by osmosis. Oh yeah, I'm used to singing these songs. I know the drill. We always keep this up. That's just how life is. This is exactly what happens when we take people who are raised in the church and we do not call them to account. So I love what Justin said. Accountability. But you know why? Because we're afraid to offend somebody. And I'm not talking about these people who want to confuse rebuke with being rude. Some people are just plain rude. It's the truth. Oh, brothers, they think if they pray with you and, you know, if we, if we say, hey, brother, can I talk to you for a second? I just pray with you and as long as I'm quoting the spirit of prophecy in the Bible, you know, it's okay whatever I say to you. However I say it to you. It's not true. You're just trying to mask the fact that you're a judgmental person. And you need the Lord in your heart. Walking around accusing the brethren. Doing the devil's work for himself. All in the guise of, I'm more spiritual, holier than thou. You're not arising because your light has come. You're walking in the sparks of your own kindling. We talk about stepping up against error. We need to learn to stand and be counted when it comes to the truth. But you know, for many of us, it's about those worldly gains and respectable conventionality. The second thing we fight the battles of the Lord against is hatred. You know, if there's anything that we need to grow as a church and as a movement, 
is the ability to love people we disagree with. I don't agree with you, but you need to love that person because LNY says the most fatal deception. Fatal means deadly. The most fatal deception is that people think they're going to heaven without having Christ-like love for their brethren. You think you're just going to live on the other side of the New Jerusalem. Oh yeah, her mansion ain't going to be next to mine. You won't be there. Amen. Many people will come to Jesus. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many wonderful, wonderful works in your name? Did we not tell other people about you? But God is against hatred. Amen. Of all forms, even if the other member across the table at the board meeting was your enemy, the Bible says, love your enemy. Even if they were your enemy. But you know, it's all just a deception of the devil. To bring us back in and forget the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are not our problem. Error, hatred are a problem. And the last battle of the Lord that we must fight, as illustrated by the book of Joshua, is sin. We are against sin. We fight against sin, not sinners. Can you say amen? amen? The only thing that we should have a problem with is sin. And people come and they act all shocked. Can you believe that this brother did X, Y, and Z? I'm like, why are you shocked? The Bible said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Why are you surprised that a sinner does what a sinner does? The point is, we need to be against sin, preaching against it. As we are always told that the greatest one of the world is the one of what? Men. Men who do what? Call sin by its right name, not justification. You get to these people where they're like, oh, you know, God knows my heart. You're right, he does know your heart. You're backslidden. He does know. But we come in and we want to justify and say, well, you know, is it really wrong to have oral sex? Is it really wrong if you're kissing and making out? You're not sleeping together. Really, how close to the edge do you want to get? Are you willing to bet your salvation on that? And find out in the judgment you were wrong. Because we don't have the humility to admit the fact that I got a lust problem and I need to go to Jesus. Because the gospel is able to overcome every tendency to wrong. Not just the ones we want to come out of that bring us shame. Even the ones we enjoy. But those aren't the sins that we want to rebuke because the battles of the Lord when champions are few. People say, I'm against sin. In all its forms. Small white lies as well as gross and dark deception. You know, <clears throat> the next verse, verse 6, he tells Joshua three times to be strong and of a good courage. He says, Joshua, I want you to be strong and of a good courage. And he says, for unto this people you shall divide for them a what? What does the word say in your Bible? An inheritance. 
He says, you're going to divide an inheritance unto this people. So wait, wait, wait. Why does that require strength and courage? What kind of courage do you need to divide an inheritance among a group of people? See, when I was a, a little kid, six years old, living in Chicago, you know, I remember playing baseball. And this girl, her name was Colette. She has the same name as my mom. But she was like the tough girl in the neighborhood. I mean, she was known for beating boys down. <laughs> and so when it came to play baseball, if the game was close, she just had ways of pitching the ball that it was just either impossible to hit or she would almost hit you with the ball. And so there I was, six years old. Colette was like eight or nine. She was bigger than me. And so she was pitching the ball, this crazy thing. And of course, everyone else is like, Sebastian, man, just let it go. I'm like, she's not supposed to do this, man. This is not how this is supposed to work. So I catch the ball, throw it back, and then she throws the same thing. Then I catch it and throw it back, same thing. Third time, I said, you know what? I'm just going to throw this ball at her. Everyone's eyes just open wide. After I threw the ball at her and almost hit her, she started running at me. I just held the bat in my hand. <laughs> and the whole neighborhood was gathered around. They said, Sebastian, this is a girl. What are you doing with a bat? I'm like, she's not a girl. There's a female tiger as well. <laughs> Put the bat down, Sebastian. And one of my friends looked at me. He said, Sebastian, are you really going to hold a bat to fight a girl? He says, you don't have the courage to fight her like a man. See, that just gets you right there in your pride. <laughs> so I put the bat down and I took my beating. <laughs> and after I took my beating, went in the house crying. What happened? You know, we don't talk about it. <laughs> But you know, she never pitched like that again. You see, brothers and sisters, sometimes we have to recognize that when we have the courage to do the right thing, sometimes we don't win. Sometimes we do everything right and we still lose. And too many of us, we get discouraged when we did everything right and the result doesn't come as if God is a magic lamp. Well, Lord, I fulfilled this, so you have to do this. No, he doesn't. Joseph was faithful to Potiphar and to God. He ended up in prison. Jesus lived a perfect life. They crucified him. <clears throat> Paul preached the truth and even humbled himself to his brethren request. He ended up in prison the rest of his life. Brothers and sisters, we have to come to accept that courage is not the absence of fear. It is not presumption. It is not just rushing to it blindly without thinking, without plans. Courage is saying, yes, I'm afraid, but I'm going to go anyway. I'm not the best speaker, but I'm going to go anyway. That's courage. Courage is saying, I'm going to go back home and they're going to say, oh, wait, weren't you the, the kid before you went to GYC? You was out partying, you was dating this girl and that girl, and now you want to come back all spiritual, talking about we need to have a Bible study? Please. You need to go somewhere with that. You need to have the courage to go forward anyway and say, yes, I was that guy. 
Yes, I was doing that. But guess what? I went to GYC and Jesus found me. Jesus transformed me and now I am ready to step up. We got to have courage. Three times he tells Joshua. And guess what? If a little girl came to me and she said, you know, Brother Sebastian, I hear you're preaching on Sunday morning. Be strong and of a good courage. You know, you'd be like, oh, that's so cute. But if a Navy SEAL came to me and he said, Sebastian, you need to be strong and of a good courage. You're like, now, this guy's a Navy SEAL. He's telling me to have courage? That means there's some serious danger waiting over there. But how much more when God, who fears nothing, comes to you and says, you need to be strong and of a good courage. Because there's going to be battles you have to fight that you're like, I'm not sure I can win. There's going to be dangers lurking for you when you go into that land to fight those battles of the Lord. And it is no different, GYC, when we leave this place. The devil is waiting on the other side of the doors of this convention center. Soon as you get on the plane, soon as you get on the bus, soon as you get in the car, soon as you get back home, the devil is waiting for you. And God says, guess what? I'm charging you to arise, to step up, to go over this Jordan, to finish this work. But there are dangers waiting for you on the other side. And as my favorite preacher used to say, when you give your life to Jesus and you want to do the right thing, what do you expect the devil to do? Pat you on the back and wish you well? Thanks, man. You chose Jesus. Good job. Have a good life. No, as soon as you decide at this conference, when you came up for the appeal, when you came up and said, you know what? I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to go to the Middle East. I'm going to go on this service project. As soon as you decided to do that, you were put in the devil's crosshairs. And please believe your life may go awry when you leave this place. And then people come back and say, maybe God doesn't want me to do it. That's the exact opposite. It is because we are doing the right thing that the devil is there to try to discourage us. He will contest every inch. Every what? Every inch of ground that we make back to the heavenly Canaan. Every inch. The devil's not just content trying to get you into sin. He's also content about making it hard for you to wake up and study the Bible. Making it difficult, you want to pray. You know, I love the fact that we're getting together in the prayer room. My question is, how many of us are going to be in the prayer room when we get home? That's my favorite part of GYC is outreach. What outreach are you doing at home? There's houses in Phoenix and there's houses in your neighborhood. There's no difference between them. The only difference is if you decided to step up. Stepping up in a crowd is easy. Stepping up when you're by yourself is not. That takes courage. You see, I believe there's a lot of stepping up for us to do. You know, if you're a preacher, stepping up means that, you know, I need to make sure that my sermons are biblically correct and not politically correct. I need to mount the pulpit as the mighty proclaimer of truth that Jesus called me to be when I stepped into the ministry. 
I need to make sure that the message and not the massage of my ego is the goal. I need to make sure that I'm worrying about when God invites me to give an account for my sermon, then if they're going to invite me back. Everybody wants to be popular. Nobody wants to be Jeremiah. Nobody wants to say the uncomfortable things, but those are the sermons that change lives. But you see, we can also step up as members. You know, stop complaining about boring sermons and preach one. That's fire. Stop worrying about my church is a dead church and start a prayer and Bible study group to revive it. No, 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 no. Stop worrying about what's happening at a GC vote, but you don't even show up to a church business meeting. And probably don't even know what a union constituency meeting is. We're constantly looking for the next event as if it was cocaine. When am I going to get my spiritual fix? Oh, there's GYC affiliate meetings. I'm going to go to GYC, then I'm going to GYC Southeast, and I'm going to go to GYC West, and I'm a volunteer here at Pathways. We're just looking for the next event. That ain't going to carry you through the end time. You got to have your own personal experience with Jesus. When all the lights are off, you got to have the courage to carry on. But you know, even as a GYCer, we got to stand up and be counted. You know, the beauty of the movement, since I've been a part of it, is that we all don't agree. That's part of the beauty. There are things we all agree on. But there are things that we don't. And the fact that we can come to unity on the mission and the message of what God is calling us to do, that's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it unity in diversity. But you know, even stepping up there reminds us of the fact that many of us, we need to stop worrying about being judged and we need to welcome accountability. We caught this phrase of saying, hey, man, you know, before we say that we did something we know we shouldn't be doing, we say, hey, man, don't judge me. As if that's just going to give you an excuse to do what you did. Rather than being like, you know what? I know I was tripping. I was backsliding. I was wilding out. I was doing something I knew I shouldn't be doing. And I'm welcoming the accountability. Don't judge me. Get on your knees with me and pray for me. And say, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, restore such a one. Amen. Considering yourself also with meekness and gentleness. Amen. I got to hurry to my conclusion. My time is out. I want you to notice in verse 9, the last question. The only question that God asked Joshua when he charges him. He says, Joshua, have not I commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. You know, I remember in the military, they have this concept called the commander's intent. The commander's intent. The purpose of this concept is to say that most military plans, and they are long. You get a military briefing, it's like 40 pages long. Everything you can think of. Every possible contingency. They say, here's your plan. But the first thing they learn is that the plans become obsolete the moment you come in contact with the enemy. 
You laid all these plans, and then you get out there, and you're like, this ain't going to work. So then they're like, what do we do? These soldiers are out there. We told them to go forward. We told them here's the mission, and now the step-by-step, nitty-gritty instructions, it doesn't work because they get to step five, and they're like, wait, what do we do? It's not here. It doesn't work. So they came up with a concept in the 1990s called the commander's intent. And the purpose of the commander's intent is when you get your military briefing, at the very top and very plain language is the very central objective of the mission. It'll say something like, to neutralize the enemy in this city. That's the intent. So when you get out there and you're following the plans and everybody says, oh man, the plan, this is not working. We learn to improvise. Because we remember what's the commander's intent. So in the same sense, when we go to GYC, yes, we can give you workbooks and step-by-step instructions of how to start a Bible study group, but then you start going forward and guess what? Plans fail immediately upon contact. Oh, we can't do this. Oh, this is not working out. Well, guess what? We need to remember the commander's intent. The goal is to leave this place, to arise, to step up, and to go over this Jordan. It is to finish this work. So if that means, guess what? The step-by-step plans are not working, then so be it. I got to improvise and go a different way. So we say, hey, here's your step-by-step plan of how to start your small group. And you're like, it's not working for me. Then you say, well, but the intent is to start a small group of people who study and pray over the Bible. So if I got to do that in my house, if I got to do that at the park, if I got to go to Barnes & Noble, then that's what I'm going to do. Because I know the commander's intent. You know, I want to end with this story. It's about a man named Charles Decatur Brooks, also known as C.D. Brooks. It's on June 5th last year that he passed away at 85 years old. They said that C.D. Brooks probably brought somewhere around 20,000 people to the church in his ministry. And when he passed away last year, you know, as a, a product of his ministry, Influenced by the fact that he was willing to preach the word with nerve, with backbone, and unafraid of what people thought. And you think to yourself, what do you do when you're called to follow greatness? We lost this man whom God had been using for so many years. And I thought to myself... One of his signature sermons was titled, I Want My Church Back. The church was going awry. As he says in the sermon, Sabbath on the golf course, picnicking, theater going. And he said right before he got up to preach, he didn't know what to title his sermon, and his friend slipped a note under his door and said, Charles, I want my church back. So as he was preaching his sermon to other ministers, 
Eventually, we had the privilege to have him come to GYC. And I had the privilege to pick him up. And also to pick up his wife. And I remember just talking to him, and in my mind, you know, I didn't even know how to behave. I was a young GYC volunteer. You know, you just, just say nothing. <laughs> just be quiet. You don't want to mess this up. So I just said nothing. And every single time, you know, I had to check on him, make sure everything was fine. He would say, everything's fine, brother. But eventually... When I reflected on last year and I think about that sermon, I realized that GYC was supposed to be an answer to that question. It said those individuals who died, spent their whole lives in ministry, they didn't die for a backslidden church. They didn't endure weeks and hours and days away from their wives and family for a backslidden church that doesn't now want to step up to its identity and its mission that doesn't want to surrender to its calling. They spent all these things, and that's why when they saw where the church was going, the, the, the statement was made, I want my church back. And so I decided that, you know what? It's time for us and for me to live a life that says to him, here's your church back. I'm going to show you that we are still holding to the old values that have always been since the very beginning. We are still holding the truths. We are still holding the mission. We are still pushing things forward. So that Martin Luther, who died for the truth, who was persecuted for the truth, Jan Hus, because he was persecuted for the truth, the apostles who died for the truth, as they stand in the halls of the champions who have run the Christian race before us, that it's now it's time for us to step up to the starting line. And to tell Peter, here's your church back. We are still here. There is a remnant that the dragon could not squash out of the earth. And we're going to hold on and we're going to run this race with patience. Because no man shall be able to stand before us all the days of our life. Because God is not going to fail us. And so my appeal is very simple. You want to say to those great men and women who have gone before us, you want to say, here's your church back. And I'm coming to represent, as the song says, though no one joined me, still I will follow. If I'm the only one that's holding on to true Adventist values, if I'm the only one moving forward in the mission, then let it be me. As Athanasius said, contra mundum, me against the world. If that's what it takes, then I'm going to stand. Because me and God is a majority. And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You want to come up front and you say, this morning, Sebastian, I want to say to the faith of our fathers, here's your church back. I'm going to stand and be counted. I'm going to leave this conference and I'm going to be strong and of a good courage. And I'm going to make sure that when the devil thinks he has squashed this little remnant group of people off the earth, there is still one, like God told him 
in Job, he says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth. Everyone else had gone. But Job said, I'm still going to stand and be counted. And when he lost his children, when he lost his wealth, when he lost his health, he didn't go back in discouragement and say, God, I was faithful. Why did you forsake me? He bowed down and he worshiped. And he says, even when I lose everything, even when I feel like I'm discouraged, even when I want to give up, you're still worthy of all that I am and all that I have. I'm still going to stand and be counted. Even when his wife comes and says, curse God and die. I'm still going to stand and be counted. You want to frustrate the devil? You got to learn to arise and step up. Be strong and of a good courage. Because when we leave this conference, I've been in this movement a long time. I know the struggles you face because I've counseled many of you. I know the losses you've had. And my wife knows the truth. We pray for you all the time. But brothers and sisters, we're almost home. This is not the time to go back. We want to let the apostles and the reformers and the angels of heaven Here's your church back. And one day the church of this earth is going to be united with the church in heaven. And Gabriel's going to say, you stood exactly the way I would have stood. Because you were strong. And of a good courage. Brothers and sisters... Jesus is coming. We may lose more great men, but do not be discouraged. Just step up. You say another one's down, then I'm going to stand and be counted in his place. A mother of the church dies, you step up, and I'm going to take her place. Not because you're better, not because you're worthy, not because you're intent, but because the Lord has charged you in Joshua. She died ministering to the people in your church. Now it's time to arise and take these people over this Jordan. As a representation of the old guard of GYC, we were the Moses movement, we were the mob in the wilderness. But it's now time for you guys as Joshua to organize and go in and possess this land. Let us kneel together as we pray. Our Father, the world lost Jesus too soon. But Lord, you are calling us in 2018 
to give the world a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we have come here not to C.D. Brooks, not just to those who have gone before us in this Christian heritage, but even to Jesus himself and say, here's your church back that you've built on this rock, the rock of Christ Jesus. Father, when we leave this place, we know the devil is waiting for us. We know that his imps and the spirits that work under his command are going to try to trip us up. But Lord, we are going forward in your charge to be strong and of a good courage. We're not going to give up. We're going to keep getting up and moving forward and remembering the commander's intent. It is to preach this gospel of the kingdom to all the world as a witness. And then the end shall come. Lord, it may not go the way we want it to go. It may not move as fast as we want it to move. But we will keep moving. And so, Father, this moment is a moment of consecration. There are Jordans and obstacles in our lives that we must cross to receive the inheritance that Jesus has for us. And so this morning as we dedicate ourselves to Christ, we pray that the angel of the Lord would encamp around about us because we fear you. That you would deliver us, Lord. That while the young lions lack and suffer hunger, we shall not suffer the lack of any good thing because we seek the Lord. May we show that as we step up, we are kneeling down. There is no greater arising than when we kneel in the audience chamber of the Most High. This is the true place of victory. And so, Lord, when we get tired, when we get weary, and when we're tempted to be discouraged, help us to go back to those who have run the race before us to read their stories again and to believe and trust that God will finish this work. Father, we love you and we thank you for each and every one of these gifts. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.